I challenge you to a duel. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Movie Jewel podcast. My name is Peter and I am your host. Each episode of the Movie Jewel podcast uh, we select a subject that's based around films and then myself and my co-host each pick a film that we think best fits that subject and then discuss accordingly. The only rule is that uh, over the course of this podcast we cannot discuss the same film twice. So, uh, this week I'm bringing you a brand new guest, a uh, brand new guest co-host uh, in Tarquin Mandrake. He'll be joining us shortly, uh, but just first of all, just a few little bits uh, before we go into the main podcast. Um, a few bits of detail about how you can get in contact with us. Um, if you want to leave us a review or give us feedback, or even if you're interested in maybe becoming a co-host on the Movie Jewel podcast. Uh, it doesn't need to be full-time, it can be sporadic, if you want to just give it a go, anything like that, it's fairly simple to do, as long as you've got a microphone, a PC, and a set of headphones really, it's pretty simple, um, and a webcam, that's about it. Um, but if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so through the uh, Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash podcast. you can email us on moviejewelpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and we are now on Twitter as well, um, at MovieJewelPod. So there are all ways that you can get in touch with us uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, you can follow us and uh, see updates on upcoming episodes. Um, be dropping uh, the selection announcements to let you know what films will be discussed on future episodes. And where you can find those films to watch them um, before the episodes drop. And for me personally, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I have a Letterboxd account, which is Pete Marshall. Uh, so you can keep up to date with films that I'm seeing at the moment. Um, and whether I liked them or not. Okay, so without further ado, uh, let's head on over and meet our brand new guest co-host. Allow myself to introduce myself. So, uh, big movie Joe, welcome to Tarquin. Hey. Hi Tarquin, how are you? Barely alive. <laughs> uh, so, uh, do you want to start off by telling the, the listeners a little bit about yourself, Tarquin? Well, I'm a lowly factory worker by night, asleep by day. In fact, such is my level of commitment, I spent eight years working on a night shift in a factory in preparation for this podcast. I'm a film fanatic of long standing, and when I'm not delivering messages for the mob or investigating strange noises in the root cellar, then I like to watch movies. I'm a... All kinds, I'm not fussy. As long as they elicit an emotional response and immerse me in a different world, then it's time well spent. Comedy and horror are my bedrock foundation, but as I get older, I'm increasingly drawn to historical drama. Fantastic, fantastic. So, obviously, with this being your first first time uh, on the Movie Jewel podcast, it was my uh, pick of subject. So, a couple of episodes ago, myself and Vanessa discussed uh, Paul Verhoeven, and I thought it was quite, it was quite nice to... Um, go back to that sort of style of subject in terms of picking a, a particular director and this time around I went for best Ron Howard film so was this an easy choice for you Tarquin? Um, very much so yeah there's there's one film of his that I just loved my whole life 
Yeah. So there was no other films in sort of consideration for you? Um, no. But, I mean, he's done some good films since. I've, I've been checking out his back catalogue lately, and uh, there's a couple that run it close, but um, it's still my my choice. Yeah, I think I was very much the same. You know, my, my choice was something I saw at a young age. and um, Imprinted. Was, yeah, easy, you know, easily what I would consider to be his best. Uh, so, a little bit of background about uh, Ron Howard. Born Ronald William Howard on the 1st of March 1954 in Duncan, Oklahoma. He is the eldest son of Jean Spiegel, who was an actress, and Rance Howard, who was a writer, director, and actor. He first found fame as a child actor on The Andy Griffiths Show. Now, Sheriff Taylor, did you not say that Post Tolstice had the cornflakes crackling with fresh corn flavor? Well... Answer yes or no, please. Yes. And didn't you say that from field to flake, Post Tolsties never lose their fresh corn flavor? I, uh, yes or no? Yes. And then later is Richie Cunningham in Happy Days. Oh, blind date, huh? Yeah, I'm not too good on blind dates. Okay, I'll just make up some excuse. Hi, Millicent. I found my thrill. Which would be, I don't know about you, Tarkin, but that would probably be my first um, introduction to the man Ron Howard. Oh, I mean, Happy Days was enormous when I was a kid. It was just a total cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I think it, it, it was definitely something that, you know, I mean, even though it was, you know, what, late 70s, early 80s, it was, it was still, you know, doing the rounds even here in the UK, you know, well in, into my sort of teens, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I was greasing back my hair, I was I was into grease, I was into American <laughs> graffiti, you know, all that stuff, the funs. Do you recognise this voice? Hey! <laughs> His directorial debut was Grand Theft Auto, No Relation to the Game, uh, in 1977, and he would go on to direct 27 feature films across a number of different genres. Uh, and winning Best Picture and Best Director for A Beautiful Mind at the 2002 Academy Awards, which is a film I haven't seen, actually. It's one of his I haven't seen. Uh, recommended, um, you know, a very good uh, Russell Crowe performance. I'll check that out. Um, and a little bit of trivia for Mr Ron Howard. According to his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, all four of his children were named after places they were conceived. So Bryce Dallas Howard in Dallas... Uh, Paige Carlisle and Jocelyn Carlisle at the Hotel Carlisle in New York City, uh, and Reed Cross on after a specific road. I mean, that's not freaky so. or disturbing at all. You know, that's, <laughs> it's not a conversation. Well, this I is according to, to <laughs> this is according to Bryce Dallas Howard, so she could just be taking the piss, I suppose. Um, in in 1971, he was a contestant on the Dating Game, which I'm assuming is the sort of American version of Blind Date, uh, and ended up choosing Bachelorette. Number two, named Nola Green. Uh, he's apparently a huge fan, fan of cricket. Uh, he attended the Fine Lashes Test between England and Australia in September 2005 whilst he was filming The Da Vinci Code and was spotted mingling with players in the Australian dressing room. Just a little aside from that, it was actually partly filmed in my hometown, Lincoln, Da Vinci Code. Lincoln Cathedral doubled for some of the... the the back spaces of St Paul's Cathedral. I think it's a scene where uh, he throws up the um, is it the Codex? Is it Codex or something in the air? And it smashes on the floor. 
Okay, so the last scene with the monk. Mm, no, it's with Mac- Ian McKellen. There was a big buzz around Lincoln because we don't get very many famous people in Lincoln. Uh, so uh, yeah. uh, it was definitely Ian McKellen and uh, and Tom Hanks with his uh, his mullet. And for an American Film Institute poll, Howard chose One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as his favourite film. He's got Vincent Chiavelli from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in it. In Night Shift. It has, yes, yes. And interestingly, before we get into any films, he is, or will be, uh, our X-Files connection for the night. Because he was in a season two episode called Humbug, where he played Lanny, who had a uh, uh, an unformed conjoined twin who could separate and go out and eat people. Yeah, the famous Circus Freak episode. <laughs> yes, one of the best, one of the best. Uh, so, obviously, with it being my choice of subject, Tarquin, it was your first pick for the film. So, what film did you go for? Night Shift, 1982. Chuck Lumley works nights. He's a civil servant. And so is Bill. Chuck and Bill have a very strange partnership. They also have a happy staff. Their business is growing. Their customers have no complaints. And the future looks good. is a little too serious about his work. So, Bill is teaching him to take things easier. After all, night work can be fun. You just have to know where to look for it. Night shift. It makes the day seem dead. By comparison. Okay, so it's about this guy, Chuck, this very unfortunate guy, Chuck, who um, is just belittled and um, embarrassed by life. Um, He was a financial whiz on on Wall Street, but um, he couldn't hack it. He couldn't take people uh, running away with his, his hard work and his ideas. And so he's retreated into um, working in a morgue and uh, having a very second-rate existence, um, bullied by his fiancée and his his mum. And um, then he is saved from himself by uh, Michael Keaton, playing uh, Billy Blazowski, and um, his neighbour, Belinda, a prostitute, played by Shelley Long. So tell me a little bit about your sort of history with this film, Taki. When did you first see it? Okay, so it would have been way back in the video era. And probably attracted by like a, a risque nudie trailer or something like that. And um, <laughs> thought, my God, I have to see this. It's got press in it. But and then just taken in by the world, the story, and um, you know, it's a very funny script. Um, there's there's lots of great gags in there, and just beautiful acting. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was the first time I'd seen this film. It was not something I'd had any any experience with at all. First put of call was just sort of watch the trailer. 
and uh, and then when I got into the film it was not really what I expected the trailer I saw anyway was more of a unlikely pair in is it the feet walking down the road um no no it was just more about sort of it pushed more the sort of chuck was this sort of nice normal sensible guy and bill was the this this sort of crazy person who's come into his life and uh, causing this upheaval there wasn't really any mention of um you know sex workers and pimps and Mm. and that kind of thing in it so once the film got started and there's this you know quite lengthy sort of chase scene with this this pimp uh, being sort of chased down by these 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 other two. Franklin, you forgot your coat. Franklin um, and Delanor Roosevelt Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this film? But um, but I must say, I did enjoy it. I thought it was it was Good. it was quite a clever film, definitely. That's that's a beautiful sequence um, at the beginning. You know, with those steam rising up from the pavement and the sex workers plying their trade, and then <laughs> the two evil hoodlums um, chasing down Franklin. And a Burt Bacharach soundtrack as well. Yeah, um, pretty shit soundtrack. I thought. You know, the only song I liked was um, "Talk Talk" by Talk Talk. <laughs> well, I like. I'm a sucker for a bit of Burt Bacharach. God rest his soul. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. It was—I thought it was a good soundtrack, but I don't—I I, probably—I wouldn't say it necessarily fit the film a lot. Yeah, I think there were there were points where it was like it was a little bit cheesy. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, cheesy, sentimental, you know, which is kind of what they're going for, I guess. You know, hmm. there are a couple of uplifting moments where you know Chuck is seeing some hope in his life, where it, it kind of fit, but you know, not for me personally. Yeah, and I mean. You know, you've got a couple of a couple of people in this film that are, I would say are playing against type or the type that I would have seen them. Henry Winkler, for starters, yeah. you know his most famous role is the Fonz, the cool guy. You know, the guy that nothing phases him. I want to be Richie Cunningham this time, is the quote. Yeah, yeah, and you can see that, and it's it's. Uh, and he does it really well as well, I think. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, not, that's um, the whole crux of the film is, you know, the, the pathos and the sadness of, you know, a man who who's just accepting second best all the time, you know, and he does it beautifully, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's quite... <laughs> the, the It's not really a sex scene, but um, when he's, you know, he's... But Belinda comes around. Belinda comes around and, and there's all these sort of provisions to... To getting into bed and checking, oh, I think is it doors? Yeah. The doors are locked, and you mean his, his fiance Charlotte? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm fat. You're not fat. I'm fat. This is my one night off. I look forward to this all week. Why don't you come to bed? I just want to lose six more pounds tonight. Why don't you run into bed? Maybe you'll lose some pounds along the way. All right, Chuck, just don't look at me. Okay. Are the lights out? Yeah. Are the lights out, Chuck? Oh, yes, yes. Um, and uh, and I, that just really tickled me. I thought that was very, very um, I don't want to say too much, but I've experienced that before, should we say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then it's finally sort of... Getting some he's, he's very sort of nixed by... By Belinda in the end, I think into his. I think is she entertaining some te- some cowboy? I think was it a trucker or something? Yeah, it looked like Will Ferrell, this enormous cowboy in his <laughs> underpants. 
And and his horrible fiance sends him around to on turn the music down. And she doesn't care if he gets beaten to death, you know. I mean she's just she's tell him to turn down his horrible music. What do you mean horrible music? Horribly good. <laughs> Yeah, um, and there's a, there's quite a, there's a line early on I think it's where she's identifying her, her former pimp, um, and the and the officer asks her who. He... Do you recognise this man as Franklin Delano Roosevelt Jones? Yes. What was your uh, relationship with the deceased? He was my Avon lady. <laughs> Which is a term I haven't heard in years. Avon lady. Whether that's still a thing, I don't know. Another important scene, may I add, because um, it's there that Chuck um, establishes a connection with uh, Belinda, like the, mm -hmm. the horrible detective. Um, Sergeant yeah. Averback is like, you know, she's just a whore. That was her pimp. Yeah. And instead, Chuck says, hello, you know, and treats her like a human being. And, you know, she appreciates that. And I think that's that's where the connection is made. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's probably quite pertinent to talk about the depiction of, of sex workers in this film. I mean, you know, this is going to come from a couple of guys, but I think it's quite respectful. I don't think it's all the, all the sex workers that are sort of portrayed, portrayed in the film. You've got a couple that are sort of a bit ditzy in that, but they're, you know, I think it, it portrays them well as being quite savvy, yeah. strong people who are just, you know, for certain parts of the, the film and the story are, are scared of you know, repercussions from their former pimp and other people and things like that. Yeah, just fundamentally decent human beings trying to make a living, get by, you know, provide. And um, it's refreshing for the 80s, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I mean, this was, what, 80, 82? Yeah, and there are a lot of um, exploitative sex comedies around as film distributors realise, oh, sex sells. You know, it was that era, the risky business, Dr. Detroit... Porkies, you know. Yeah, and that's it. I and mean, this is this is a completely different kind of film. It's not. Um, although you know, you could argue that you know, sex work prostitution is is. Let's break that word down. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of times it'll help you to understand a word if you break it down. So let's do that now, shall we? Pros doesn't mean anything. Forget about that. Tit. I think we all know what that means. Two. Okay. Two. Tit. And shun, of course, from the um, Latin to shun. Say no, uh huh? Thank you anyway. I don't want it to push away. Doesn't even belong in this word, really. So let's get rid of that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, I think yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of, it doesn't creep into that sort of seediness that it it, it could quite easily have done. Like you say, in, in comparison to a lot of late seventies, early eighties films, or most eighties films, I suppose, you know, you can you can tell it's made by somebody who's wanting to treat the subject matter respectfully. You know, his wife's mum was an escort. I don't know how oh, this really? pertains to the whole thing, but yeah. And his first um, film script, the one he took to Roger Corman before he ended up being bunswaggled into um, Grand Theft Auto, was about mm -hmm. a sex worker. So I guess it was a theme on his mind at the time. And, uh, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a very glossy um, depiction of prostitution, is, um, of sex work. It um, skips all the gory details. Mm -hmm. You see some nudity in the background, but on the whole, it's kind of like a fun fun thing depicted in uh, montages. You know, the girls going off to work, 
money accumulating, flashy clothes being brought. Yeah, none of a nitty gritty. I think you get more of that sort of bawdiness and the and the you know that sort of unhinged sort of behaviour. I suppose it comes from Bill and his friends. This that that's the sort of this frat party yeah, yeah. Uh, in the film that that is a bit more akin to something like Porky's and and those kind of films. Um, but it's probably good time to talk about. Um, the character of Bill, uh, Michael Keaton. I mean, for me, my first experience of Michael Keaton is Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just the right age for, for for Michael Keaton as Batman, and obviously, a lot at the time, there was a lot of backlash. Yeah, why the fuck have they cast Mike, Michael Keaton, yeah, this funny, yeah. crazy guy, as Batman, the, the sad, somber thing? And he just showed what a great actor he is. How you know, oh, how capable you. he can. Yeah. Um, get into the role and, and just give you the full yeah, human, you know. exactly. And I mean, he, you know, so I, I never sort of saw that anything before um, Batman, uh, Beetlejuice, I saw after after that. Um, but I'd not had any experience of him as this comedian. I mean, obviously this film, things like, uh, is it Mr. Mister Mom? Anything like that, I'd not had any experience. So, and really since, I suppose since Batman, uh, he didn't do a whole heap of comedies after that. Yeah, I think Multiplicity is probably the only one I can think. Sort of nineties, so I'd not had that experience of him as a comedian, as 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 being a a funny character, I suppose. So it was quite refreshing to see that, and he, you know, his his timing's pretty pretty good. His his delivery. I mean, just every every line, he just nails it, and he brings so much to it you know yeah yeah well that's it you know you've got this uh you know in in sort of modern themes somebody to compare him to a little bit of a you know a steve stifler or somebody like that where he's this sort of bawdy character who you know doesn't care has all these crazy plans and and things like that yeah um but compulsively overshares details of his life that chuck just doesn't want to know about you know yeah yeah hey you doing I'm Bill Blaze Jasky. You call me Billy Blaze. You must be Chuck, right? Nice shoes. Hey, this is all right. Guess this is where I'm going to be working. I'm your new partner. Swish! Ah, they're going crazy in the arena. They can't believe it. It's unbelievable. But you know, he's got he's got that likability as opposed to you know somebody like a Steve Stifler character. He's you know he's 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 sweet at the same time. Yeah, I mean, like the the film was originally planned as a Aykroyd Belushi um, vehicle. And, um, Dan Aykroyd as the stiff chick Chuck guy, and mm-hmm. um, Belushi as, as Bill. And you wouldn't have had that heart. I think you wouldn't you wouldn't have had the um, the soul that he brings to it. The vulnerability. No, no. I think Belushi does crazy, crazy, really well. Mm-hmm. You'd struggle to get that heart, definitely, definitely with him. And I'd even argue that you'd. you'd Struggled to get that nicey niceiness from from Dan Aykroyd. You know, he he sort of proved he can pull off this sort of smog arsehole in in trading places, yeah. but I don't think he could have pulled off loser really, <laughs> which is essentially what you know Henry Winkler is is portraying in Chuck. Yeah. But there was a few there was a few lines, well a line early on that really made me chuckle. Uh, Chuck shows him the picture of, uh, of Charlotte. Hey Chuck, who's this? Wife or fiance? frame <laughs> yeah people have really a strange nice. that's a running gag um, people have a strange reaction to photos of charlotte like early on um with the detective in the morgue and yeah. he, he takes out his picture of his wallet just to prove that he's not having anything to do with bill and the look i've got a fiance and um <laughs> the, 
detective and Belinda look at the photo and it's like they're staring into the void, you know. They can't say anything and it's just this illimitable darkness looking at Charlotte. <laughs> Nobody knows what to make of her. I think, that, you know, and that's it's just really clever, really clever sort of scripting, I suppose. Um, because, you know, Charlotte, um, Gina, Gina Hecht, yep. am I saying that right? Uh, you know, she's not an unattractive person, but it's like, personality-wise, she's massively unattractive. She's not a nice person. She's I was listening to this podcast about, you know, I've been listening to all the Night Shift podcasts, and um, people just did not get it that, you know, why wasn't she fat? Why didn't they get a fat actress? Mm. And it's like, no, she's neurotic. You know, she's got this compulsion. She's got body dysmorphia, you know, that's the point. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, one of the other scenes that really made me chuckle as well was the uh, uh, chuck on the on the on the subway with the saxophone player. Yeah, yeah. And gives gives him the change, and then it's like it's not enough, so he writes writes him a check. That was Ron <laughs> Howard was the saxophone player. Oh yeah, yeah, I did read that somewhere. That's um, all right to set that up. So Chuck has met Belinda in the lift. She's been beaten up mm-hmm. by her pimp. She's telling him that um, you know it's it's hell on the streets because. Um, their pimps died so they've got no protection the punters are just beating up the prostitutes and um, taking the money back and although the pimps are scum and will you know try and trick them into taking heroin and stuff at least they offer protection so he's explaining this sad situation to um to bill on the subway and um bill says well why don't we do it why don't we look after them you know and um he has the greatest of his great ideas and they become (laughs) love brokers love brokers yeah so she was just lying there in the elevator. She's all beat up. See, that's why I have pimps. You know that's what she said? She knows this whole bunch of girlfriends that need pimps. I really hope they find someone trustworthy. <laughs> are you crazy? Those guys are killers. They're animals. They dress nice, though. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's, um... It... I mean, it is a bit of a stretch, I suppose, but you've set up that character of Bill nicely enough that it's it's believable, and you set that character of Chuck that he's desperate to. Yeah, because Bill is halfway there. I mean, he's he's driving kids to their proms and things like that. He's you know a shady limo driver, yeah. abusing the facilities of the morgue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, do you think this? Do you think the film would have worked if it wasn't sort of set in a morgue? I think there there is a little bit of a, from my perspective, watching it first time. You know, it was maybe a little bit of an odd um... juxtaposition. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well. This is um, the kernel of the idea for the film. Was Brian Grazer read a piece in the New York Daily Times, I think, or the New York Daily News, saying that um, two morgue attendants had been busted running a, uh, a sex ring out of the out of the morgue. Oh, right, okay. So, <laughs> and Ron Howard was looking for a, a dark, gritty project to distance himself from his Richie Cunningham happy days mode, and. Um, so, you know, like there's a kernel of truth in there somewhere. I guess it's not that unbelievable then. <laughs> wow, okay. Under heaven and earth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, it's a sanitised morgue. You don't, you don't see any corpses, you don't see any viscera. Yeah, yeah. I think you you get you get the sort of covered up body of the, of the pimp at the start, don't you? And that's... That's it. That's about it, yeah. One stage, Chuck is wearing these kind of strange fishing shoes, like these wading rubber boots mm. I was thinking is that because he's stamping through awful human awful at all times but you know that's it <laughs> nothing more 
Oh, and um, at the frat party, they they climb in the drawers mm. for kinky fun. That, that's about it. And there's obviously this this sort of section where we get introduced to is it Charlotte's mum and dad? Yeah. Um, and obviously the the, the, <laughs> the point where uh, Belinda's now introduced to to, to Chuck, um, and I believe she she gets arrested. Is it hitting a client? Is that right? She bit him on the bum. Bit him on the bum. I say <laughs> massive yeah. gory um, wounds. Feast your eyes on and, this, he says to the court. <laughs> and then one of the most bizarre choices ever, Chuck takes his uh, prospective in-laws to the court to, yeah, to bail yeah, her out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, the, the dad says... Which is hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Yeah, the dad says it's because, um, you know, we've got the car, we've rented the car, so we might as well use it. <laughs> Chuck, man, you should have lied. You should have said it was Bill that was in court, not Belinda. Um, well, I mean, what about um, uh, you know the, the the character of uh, of Belinda Shelley Long? How how do you rate her performance? Because I mean, I my experience of of Shelley Long would probably begin and end at uh, Cheers. I can't really think of anything else. Yeah, she hasn't done Brady Brady Bunch movie, maybe. Yeah, that's um... something I've seen couple of comedies at the time the money pit i think um i i love her you know i always have um you know just very intelligent very sweet um you know just a razor sharp mind in there and she's perfect for the tone of the film you know just a sweet sentimental character but savvy mm. you know she's, she doesn't take any shit she doesn't take people even chuck <clears throat> when he yeah. says um you know why do you do this you're very bright you know, she just gets him out of the house because she she's not going to hear it from anyone. You know, this is what she does, and she's she's not ashamed of it. And it's the yeah. same in the court sequence as well. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you know, it's not like she's playing it as somebody who's ashamed of what she does or anything like that. She's she's very commanding. She, you know, she's she, like you say she's savvy. She's probably the most savvy character in this film. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And and yeah, I think you know again, you know, my experience with Shelley Long, she's you know. Is, is is cheers where she's you know she's that little bit sort of sassy I suppose but doesn't you know, take this, any shit from is, um, yeah Ted Danson yeah yeah but you know it's, it's, you don't necessarily or I didn't I suppose you know wouldn't see her as you know as, as a sex symbol or anything like that um, but then I suppose it's a different different time I suppose she looks good in that um, kitchen it, well yeah 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 she does she does that was an important scene in my youth. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, did the parents remind think, you of? Um, did you ever watch Blackadder too? Yes, the Lord Puritan, Lady Whitehead, Puritan parents that came to uh, yes. visit on comedy press night. It was, it was just like that. Yeah. What he is trying to tell you is that you appear to be wearing a pair of devil's dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, my earmuffs have fallen down. <laughs> uh, and um, you know, I mean, for me. On a first-time viewing, and I think this is a film I'll revisit because, like I said, I did, I did enjoy it. But I would say I think it does suffer, like a lot of comedies with a heart do, in the sort of final act. I think it struggles to keep keep the comedy going a little bit. What do you think? Do you think that, that sort of final act, how do you think that final act works? Um, yeah, I categorically reject all criticism of this film because I love it. <laughs> I love it. So. Fair enough. But, um, <laughs> right, so... 
Okay, so what, we're talking about the Paradise Found brothel, um, mm. the the tropical-themed spa? Is, is that where it, you lost it? I don't know. I think, I guess it's the whole sort of, you know, him falling for her and her falling for him and them eventually sort of getting together. I think, you know, the, you know and it's not a criticism I would just level at this. Okay, well then let's go, let's go back a bit. So... They have the Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Jack has already expressed his worries to Bill, you know, being involved in this horrible trade. Bill, let me try to explain this to you. As we sit here and idly chat, there are women, female human beings, rolling around in strange beds with strange men, and we are making money from that. Is this a great country or what? Um, yeah. So then they have a party. The prostitutes throw a big party for them because they've, they've done so well out of the deal. And um, then the three of them, Chuck, Bill and Belinda, uh, sat, sat around a Christmas tree in the middle of the night. And mm-hmm. um, Bill starts to break down a bit and um, talks about how his dad abused him and his mother. Oh. I'm serious. I know. Then when I was 13, he uh, left. He's out of there. He's gone. History, right? Told me and my mom we were uh, too ugly to look at. In my case, he was wrong. Bill. No, I mean, my mom. Well, she. My mom used to be real pretty. You live with a lunatic and does things to you. Mm-hmm. Chuck says, Do you want to see what I've done with my money? And um, he takes him to a cemetery and shows him the tombstone that he's bought for his father. And that's that's another running thing through the film that is, his mother has belittled his father uh, mm-hmm. his whole life. And. Um, Belinda is, is really taken with that. She thinks, you know, that's a sweet gesture on his part. And um, it's obvious that Chuck fancies her, or has been fancying her all the way through the film. Yeah. And so I, I thought that built up really well. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. I think it's that, you know, there's. It, it starts to lose the laughs a little bit. And, I, you know, it, maybe it's just not my. Life's not all ha ha, Peter. You know, you've got to have, you've got to have the, the soul, the love as well. I know, um, but I think you know it does that well. It does the heart really well, you know, that playing up those sort of heartfelt moments. And I don't know. I may, maybe it's I didn't expect it to quite go there based on the the rest of the film. Uh, and there's, it being, a got, there's a detail I've just got to mention. Um, yeah, it's something I picked up from one of the podcasts, and I, I just, it just blew me away. So you notice how they make love in the bath, mm-hmm. and before that, there's like when Belinda and Chuck make love, and there's a panning shot across her apartment, and you see her bed is untouched, and that they're in the bath together. Yeah, and that's because they don't want to do it in the bed because that's her place of business. Yes, you know, yeah, isn't that just lovely, lovely little detail. You know, it's thrown away. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Well, that's you know, that's that always makes for a good film, an interesting film when you can rewatch. You know, and I'm sure you've probably seen this film. A, well, I've seen it a fuck a lot now. <laughs> like in the last week. <laughs> I've seen it too many times. Um, but, okay, so what about the scene in the in the the brothel? Do you feel that um, Chuck and Bill like break up too many times? Like they have because they have a big row before that in the um, solicitor's office where Chuck's in his tennis whites and um, Chuck. Sorry, Bill is in his tennis whites and Chuck just wants to have his job. But Bill says, "Look, we've got these guys now where we want them, and we can screw them for more money." And you know, and Chuck's like, "No, no, no! Just let me have my job. Let me have my old life back." Yeah, no, I didn't think so. I thought that made sense because you've got 
this arc with Chuck, it's not easy for him to let go of, you know, how he is and how he's, you know, just sort of treated or emasculated by people and, and, and things like that. And it's not easy for him to let go and become yeah. more like Bill. So I think you have to have those you have to have those couple of moments where he's clinging on to that or he's trying to you know not give in to 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 being a bit more carefree and booting his old life away he's i think you've got to have that to get to the conclusion that you get where he finally he's finally like you know fuck it and i'm gonna do what i want um, it's just that one sandwich guy too many and just pushes him over the edge and then that's it yeah yeah well you know i've I can relate to that, you know, you get, yeah, you know, can. yeah, you want a particular sandwich and it's not <laughs> the right fucking sandwich, you know, and that can make or break your day enough or your enough, life yeah. even. <laughs> get back there and clean my door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, that's it, you know, and it's, it's, it's one of those sort of conclusions that you all like to think that you could do at the end of the day as well and just say, you know, fucking no. <laughs> I love all the different ways that um, the city grinds Chuck down. You know, you know, he'll just be walking yeah. down through the, ho- the hotel corridor, and somebody will shove him out of the way. And the dog. Yeah. <laughs> the black dog of depression. <laughs> That's a vicious dog. dog. I mean, he, he just gets away in the nick of time. Oh fucking hell! Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't see many vicious dogs in films anymore. Uh, don't know if that's just an exclusively sort of eighties, nineties. 90s thing. People love their dogs too much. They don't want to see them as as vicious uh, killers anymore. I've just been watching Nope on Now TV, and I know why. <laughs> you seen that? Jordan Peele's Nope. Nope. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, animals in, in films. It's a vexed subject. Oh, fantastic film. I love that film. Yeah, it's, it's growing on me. Second time. Anyway, night shift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anything else you'd like to sort of throw in for? Oh, there's so much, but nothing nothing occurs to me right now. Yeah, just a good good depiction of sex work and a beautiful friendship comedy. I mean, I love the possibilities that the ending gives you, where it's the three of them on the street and they're just heading mm-hmm. off. You know, what are they going to do? What it could be the the start of a whole sitcom. You know, I think they could set up a talent agency. All three of those people are intrinsic to the business. You know, um, Billy is the guy on the street going out making things happen. You know, um, Chuck looks after the money and, and can accumulate and double it all. And um, Belinda also has an important role because she finds the talent. So I think set up a talent agency. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, there's quite a prophetic line where, they, you know, she's, um, where he says about the, you know, like, I can't get over that you you didn't quit. Mm. She says, you know, right, I didn't quit. You, did you quit? And then he says, I'm not a whore. Mm. And she says, no, you're a pimp. I thought that was quite a clever, quite a clever little exchange there as well. Yeah. Um, oh, we have to shout out Lowell Gans and Babalu Mendes, the the two writers, formerly of um, Happy Days. All oh, right, really? Uh, wow. And then just so many great comedies since then. Um, Splash, uh, City Slickers, um, lots of stuff. Really, really, just a beautiful script. I actually saw Splash first time in a long time. It was on one of the uh, ITV channels, two or three. I can't remember which one it was the other day. Not seen that in a long time. What did you make of it? Uh, not quite as good as I remember, but it was, it was fun. It's funny, it yeah. Fun. I mean, there's lots of good lines and little bits in it. You know, John Candy is ungrateful. Yeah, well, he, he was always ungrateful, wasn't he? Really. Yeah. 
True. I think uh, you know he's he's a massive share. I mean, we had one of the um, early sort of intermission questions that Liam put to me was, "Who would you bring back for uh, another perform or one more performance? Uh, bring bring back from the dead?" Um, and I think I said Heath Ledger at the time because I'd like to have seen more of his Joker. Mm. Um, but then, sort of in you know, in hindsight and retrospect, I think John Candy. Definitely. Yeah, just a life force, you know. Just so much yeah, going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if you've uh, nothing else to add there, then we'll um, we'll take a short break. Okay, so welcome to the intermission. This is the part of the episode where uh, I put a question to my guest. It's a, a random question, or a fairly random question, a question they'd know nothing about, um, and get their genuine first answer. So, Tarquin, are you ready? Yep. Okay. So, who would you like to see as the next James Bond? Okay. Well, first of all, are you a Bond fan? Um, yeah, yeah, I've watched all the films. I mean, I do feel like the Bourne Ultimatum Expedition Exposition has kind of eaten its lunch a little bit, you know, that's like slightly more exciting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed all the films. I've, I really like the Daniel Craig era. I thought that brought it back to basics. Um, it had kind of fallen off after Roger Moore. Um, okay. Let's see. I think his name is Dipsy Susie. Or Dipsy Susie. He was um, in Gangs of London. All right, okay, I've not seen that. Yeah, because people keep saying Idris Elba, and I imagine big, fat, tall Idris Elba crashing around a rooftop, not being able to run very fast. I mean, all right, he could beat yeah. the crap out of people, but I think this guy, Sopi Dirisu. All right, okay. That can't be the right pronunciation. Sopi Dirisu. Him. He's he's cool. He's he's the man. You know, he'd, he'd be perfect. Okay, cool. That's not some somebody I'm familiar with. Um I think Gangs of London is one of those things that people keep telling me about and I've not actually watched. If you see the first so episode, it's like this extended punch-up in the pub and it's just right. the most exciting action sequence I've seen for you know a long, long time. Mm. So if you watch that, I think you'll see what I mean. Did, did you have someone in mind? Quizmaster. Do you, know, do you know what? I'd like to see somebody like Killian Murphy. Okay. Just because I think he could... Yeah, you know, I mean, the all the favourites at the moment, I believe, are Henry Cavill, who I think you know could probably pull it off. Um, He's a plank, but yeah, he'd be very much, you know, he'd be very emoting behind the eyes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Tom Hardy's the other one that sort of gets thrown around. Yeah, and well, he's more of a fug, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't see him as yeah. smooth. No, James exactly. Bond is a bit posh, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think I think Killian Murphy could pull that off. I think he's got that sort of that sort of. I think he could bring that iciness yeah. to to the role, you know, that, that's that's there in the books. You know, I'm not. I wasn't a big fan of Daniel Craig. Not necessarily Daniel Craig as James Bond, but I found all of his films a bit samey. Okay. And I was always a big Bond fan. I had them all on VHS uh, when they were. My family bought me on the wall for when there were two for one at Christmas time every year. So I amassed the collection, the full collection, over a number of Christmases basically. Um, it's got to be a reinforced bookshelf. <laughs> it was. I was very sad when VHS went out and I had to 
to bin that because it was one of those one of those collections that had the you know uh, it had a they all formed one picture when you lined them up along the wall oh, uh, you know, on, your, yeah. on your bookshelf um so i was very sad when i had to get rid of them um but there we go uh but yeah i think kelly murphy would, would be my choice okay a good choice a good choice yeah i was an intelligent actor Okay, so we move on to uh, to my choice, uh, which is Willow from 1988. From the creator of Star Wars. From the director of Cocoon. A world is awakening. Why, with the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? It's a dangerous world. That's why we need your help. Your journey has just begun. Willow. Heroes come in all sizes. But adventure doesn't come any bigger than this. So, obviously directed by Ron Howard, um, starring Warwick Davis, Val Kilmer, Joanne Wally, Jean Marsh and Patricia Hayes. Willow is the story of a young farmer who has chosen to undertake a perilous journey in order to protect a special baby from an evil queen. So first of all, Tarquin, had you seen this film before? No, nope, I always avoided it. Avoided? Yep. Because um, it got really bad reviews at the time, people were saying, oh, what is George Lucas trying to do? And kind of agree with those reviews <laughs> sacrilegious <laughs> so you know my first experience with, with with willow we had a local sort of video shop um, just around the corner from where we live with our uh, father and he would offer a lot of suggestions of should we get this should we get that and me and my sister would more often than not say no we want to watch a particular film that that, that, that was out or, or whatever and he would always sort of push for something a bit different and this was one of those films and he, he always recounts that story to, to me whenever we talk about Willow because he, he really enjoys Willow as well so it's it's one of those films that, that, that has a sort of special place in my heart as well because it, it's, it's, a, it's a passion I share with my father I later got it on, uh, on on VHS it was part of the cinema club uh, range of VHSs, which were these sort of almost sort of bargain basket uh, VHSs that you found in a lot of supermarkets, something like three ninety nine. Um, so once I got it on VHS, I just watched it and watched it and watched it. The film was first conceived by George Lucas in the early seventies, originally entitled uh, Munchkins. Thankfully, 
he uh, he changed his mind on that. Uh, he liked the concept of, of having a little person in the lead role and really wanted to sort of highlight the the little man against the big evil quite sort of literally here. Um, and he felt at the time that uh, the visual effects had not developed enough to recreate his vision. Uh, so he put the idea on the shelf. And then obviously he made uh, he made Star Wars, changed history, um, and created probably the the most well-known special effects company in the world, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, where a, a sort of fledgling Ron Howard was doing post-production uh, on Cocoon, which was one of his, uh, you know, his reasonably early films. I think eighty-six. Yeah, I mean that was a massive gunshot heard across the world. Everyone loved that film. Yeah, yeah, and it's not one I massively rate. It's a long time since I've seen it. I have. Yeah, I'm afraid I just thought. Oh, old people, Ugh. I'm not going to watch mm. that. <laughs> you know, everyone seems to love and it. Steve <laughs> oh, and Steve Guttenberg. Oh, and Steve Guttenberg. But whilst he was there doing post-production, Uncle Cooney met up with George Lucas. Obviously, you know, they'd made American Graffiti together. They had the relationship. But he'd, he'd, expressed, uh, he'd expressed an interest in making a fantasy film, basically. So this sort of reinvigorated, uh, reinvigorated, Lucas into um, into to pushing this story of, of Willow, and the film was offered to a number of different studios, all passed uh, due to the fantasy films um, performing poorly or poorer than expected at the box office, especially during the eighties. You know, films like uh, Crawl, Dragon Slayer, Legend, all underperformed compared to you know the expectations of the studio. But it was finally picked up by MGM, uh, at the time being run by Alan Ladd Jr. The uh, producers of Night Shift, um, the Alan Ladd Lad company. Yes, yeah. Um, obviously, he was one of the the people who pushed for for Star Wars to be made as well uh, when he was at um, at Fox. That turned out okay. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so he, again, you know, he got that relationship with George Lucas. It was filmed at Elstree Studios in the UK, uh, as well as uh, filming locations taking place in both Wales and New Zealand. And yeah. Um, I would say you've got. I, I'm going to say unbelievable performance by Warwick Davis. Not in the sense that it's a fantastic performance by Warwick Davis, because I think Warwick Davis is not necessarily a fantastic actor. But considering the fact that he was 17 years old at the time of making this film, and he's got to portray, you know, a father, a family man, got to attempt an American accent. Can't run off and play with you now. Run and I've got work to do. You gotta come hurry. Uh, I think he does a pretty good job. You know, this his only acting experience prior to this was uh, Wicket <laughs> in Return of the Jedi. You know, fully costumed performance. I think he was only. 11, 12, something, something like that at the time of that. Yeah, he does okay. He's, he always seems sincere, you know, whatever yeah. he does. You know, it's not, it's not fantastic, but, you know. I mean, you know, he's got to, he's got to play this, this family man. He's got to play, he's got to convincingly portray a father, obviously not being a father at the time. You know, he's got this, his family's content, they're all happy, but he isn't, you know, he's, he's, he's a little bit, you know, he wants to do better. He thinks he, he can be this um, this powerful sorcerer. Uh, he does these sort of magic shows, you know, 
regular sort of magic tricks. You know, the, his arc through the whole story, I think, is, is just really good. I think it's really nice. He doesn't really sort of ham it up or anything like that. The character of Willow, you know, he he's afraid. He's not, you know, he's not a you know an out and out hero. He's no, he's a whiny little piece of shit <laughs> all the way through the film. <laughs> Whatever he's got to do, he doesn't want to do it. You know, he doesn't want to rescue the little baby, let it drown. You know, and he doesn't want to take it to find the Daikini, the big people. You know. Willow, do you think we should take her to the village council? No. No, they'll think it's a bad omen. There'll be a flood or a drought, and everyone will blame me for it. Well, I could brought around that daikini, didn't he? That's right, he's that lousy farmer too. Let's get him! Willow, calm down. Calm down? Kaya, tomorrow's my big day. Screw that. He, wants to he doesn't, that. but then when he knows... Yeah, he's, he's always got excuses. But then he knows, you know, he does it when he knows it's right, and he's, you know, he's got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's... he's... <laughs> Fundaments are decent, you know. Yeah, and I think if he has to do know, something, he'll do the right thing in the end. You get the same with. But the whinging, the whinging. <laughs> like even when they're on, <laughs> when they're escaping from the tavern. Like, yeah. And you know what's his name, Mad Mordigan. Mad Mordigan, yeah, yeah. Saves his life, puts him in a in a little trolley, and, and takes him away. Even there, he's complaining. You know, let's stop. We're going too that's fast. Th- I think that's you know, it's a, it's that it's that juxtaposition of the character, I suppose, is that you know he wants more. He wants his life to be more exciting, and he thinks he can be this powerful sorcerer. But at the same time, he he doesn't want to. Do yeah, that. he doesn't. You know, he's 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 yeah, he's he's sort of scared, and he's um, you know, he's he doesn't want to push himself into those situations. But yeah, onto the the character of Mad Mad Martin, you know, the Val Kilmer, this, the nineteen eighties when Kilmer still had um, charisma, you know, before he lost it in the. In the mid nineties, yeah, lovable rogue scumbag. He's Han Solo. Yeah, Han Solo. Yeah, I mean this. This is a point a little bit later down in my notes, but you know this film does very much follow the Star Wars template, um, which I'll go into a little bit later once we get through some of the characters. Mm-hmm. You know he's got no 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 problem shield himself with the baby and dragging up to to. To escape um, uh, this rather uh, aggressive husband, Lug. Oh, beautiful. And you're very strong. Thank you. You're no woman. Now, honey. Not a woman! Easy. Gentlemen. Not a woman! Meet Lug. Ah! <laughs> yeah, no, he's good, he's good fun. I, I did like him in yeah. the film. Yeah. Well, you don't often see, you know, you think of films like i mean post tombstone you know he's got a lot, obviously a lot of charisma as doc doc holiday um yeah he's fantastic yeah, brilliant film he's easily his best performance you know after that you know he just it was like all the air got sucked out of his his, his lungs really you know things like the saint and uh, batman forever that's probably the last time i saw island of dr moreau even ghost and the artist just no, it's almost like he just sort of gave up on on becoming a great actor. Even he, I mean, he's a great film, and he's he's not bad in that. But he's not charismatic. He's very very wooden. Uh, but you know, the same you know, the same as I would say for Willow. You know, he's, the character of Mad Mardigan steps up when he needs to. You know, he knows once he realizes that you know the that Elora is in danger, and you know the, this story that Willow's 
um, spinning to him about her being, you know, the, the saviour of the world or, or whatever, he, you know, he, he steps up. Uh, and apparently he had Val Kilmer ad-libbed most of his lines as well, which which is quite interesting. I think, you know, he has some... I think there's, you know, one of my favourite lines of his is um, where they're trapped in the cage um, on the sort of mountainside in the snow. And it's I think it's the first time Willow is trying to turn Finn Rizal back into her true human form and he's just sat there Mad Mardigan's like oh this is stupid this is never going to work why are you doing this anything else and he's going through the spell and then Rizal says what are you going to look like if this works don't interrupt sorry hither green and band Clyde Blunenacht I am a young beautiful woman concentrate Willow uh she played him. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Jean Marsh, who plays Queen Bavmora. Jean Marsh is just one of those characters that just pulls off evil just impeccably, I suppose. I think, for me, as a, as a, as a young child, she just terrified me. She's got that sort of, you know, icy stare. Kale, have you found the child? The search goes on, my queen. With my powers, with the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? We look even now. It won't be long. Find the child. Find the child. Time is running out. Yeah, no, she is. She is intense. She's a good evil yeah, witch. Yeah, you know, and this is sort of evil biblical plan: killing children, getting pregnant mothers. Um, you know, even a costume. It's just weird, sort of mummified undergarments that you see sort of later on in the film um and every you know you believe that everybody is terrified of her you know it's very convincing performance then you've got joanne wally uh, who would go on to marry val kilmer they they met on this film um as saucia who's queen bobmore's daughter and probably the, i would say the worst sort of realized character in this film why would you say that because i don't think she pulls off the sinister in the early part of the film and I think mm. her arc is a little bit unbelievable because she's, you know, she's the first part of the film. She's portrayed as this, you know, relatively, you know, she's she knows doesn't doubt her mother. She's doing what her mother tells her. She's um, all about that that sort of life of, um, you know, doing what her mother wants and doesn't question it at all. Yeah, I think there's there's a moment um, as she's you know, about to butcher another girl child that you see a, a flicker of doubt on her face. Like, Maybe this is wrong. But, you know, otherwise she's totally down for the cause. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it would. I think her character would have been better had they made that a little bit more obvious throughout the film or played into that a little bit more. She, you know... Because otherwise her great spiritual awakening is um, Mad Mordigan's... Profession of love, yeah. MDMA... Yeah. Um, questionable sexual assault yes. yeah, in the yeah. Tent, you know? exactly and you know she that that's all it takes other than you know yeah you are my yeah son, exactly son. you know if it was that easy mm, Jesus she's got, she's uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think she was quite the strong sort of female character she could have been I think she could have been a lot a lot more crap at fighting you know all, yeah. the, all the fighting scenes are like Saturday night yeah, yeah. kicking in the but she's got and she's got such a badass sword as well with this sort of serrated edge that looks awesome it's it's a shame you know she was good in scandal she was good in the singing detective um and then you've got 
Kevin Pollock, Rick Overton, who play Raoul and Frangine, who are these sort of brownies, these sort of miniature pixie type creatures. Yeah, they're good fun. I like them. Yep. Go get me some eggs or something. We are not afraid of you. Now! You know, the effects for sort of late 80s, it's pretty seamless in places. You know, it's really, it's really well done. Um, and they're not left out of the action. You know, they're part of the this sort of cart chase. You know, and and towards the end, you know, they they're there. They're not just, you know, not just the comic relief. They're important. It's a little bit of the there were there were rumours that, or there was always a story that was sort of thrown around that Lucas tried to get the rights to make Lord of the Rings, and this was to be about you know, you know the the little 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 people. Um, short actors were were a replacement for hobbits uh, as such but um i was thinking um gulliver's travels yeah yeah definitely there's definitely you know that scene that. where the lillipaltians have um gulliver pinned down yeah. i mean that's directly referenced but these the you know these sort of go to um they're you know part of this star wars formula they're the c3po and r2d2 of this film um you've got patricia mm. hayes who plays finn Rizal. um I don't think she was particularly well known to to American audiences. She's, I think, she's very much a British actor. Um, obviously, in *Fish Called Wanda* is probably her biggest role outside of the UK, I would imagine. But yeah, she's just the poor dog lady. Yeah, you know, but she's she's just a lovable old lady. You know, Patricia Hayes. She's, yeah. Didn't really want to see her naked. No, 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 no. Of course not. No. Um, but you know, she's got. She has this sort of balance of impatience and sass at the same time you know she's and she's you know she's reasonably sort of formidable you know uh, 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 not as powerful as Bav Morda but you know she's she knows her stuff and once she's uh, yeah. once she's back to her true form she's she's there but you know again she's the sort of Obi-Wan of this film she's the you know the teacher um, mm. teaching uh, Willow who's the Luke um, of the story um, and then what I really liked in terms of the casting was uh, Pat Roach. Yeah, bomber. I love Pat Roach. I mean, you know, feature film-wise, this is probably his most, you know, vocal role. Um, he's always sort of this sort of henchman or, you know, famously he was in all of the, the original Indiana Jones trilogy. And, you know, he's pretty pretty badass as a henchman here. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't want him against you, would you? No, <laughs> I mean, he's got this mask stamping through the village. He's got this massive brow as well, which is obviously some kind of uh, makeup effect. Yeah, he looks like a kind of BBC paste up of early man. Yeah, you know, documentary, yeah. you know, Neolithic fibers. This sort of skull helmet mask as well, you know. Again, to me, as ten year old Peter watching this, it's like, wow, he's got a skull for a mask. But you uh, say dialogue. I mean, all he says is grug. He just walks into a room, grag, yeah. smashes it up. Yeah, yeah. He's got a few lines. A few lines earlier. No, good henchman, and you know, all the costume design you have to reference. Um, mm. John Mobius Girard, the um, famous French comic artist who mm. did the production design for the film, and um, all the sets and things have just got this really nice touch to them. Yeah, really. And the costumes, yeah. kind of Japanese early medieval look. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you've got a bit of. It definitely in in Saoirse's costume it's very sort of um, samurai sort of look to her um, and it actually is Pat Roach's character General Kale was named after Pauline Kale who famous American critic yeah 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 and um, you know the two headed beastie yes my favourite character was um, 
Ebert Siskel, something like that. Uh, the Ebert Sisk, yeah, after yeah, yeah. Ebert and Siskel and Ebert, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it also had the, you know, the, this film had the apparently had the the largest casting call for for short actors for little people ever, up to two hundred and forty short actors being cast, uh, including some well-known faces. Uh, Billy Barty obviously has a reasonably prominent role as uh, the High Aldwin. Um, Kenny Baker, Jack Purvis. Uh, Malcolm Dixon and uh, Tony Cox as well in a in an early yeah, role. Yeah, from The Wizard of Oz. And, oh, mm-hmm. no, wait, what is it? The James Franco one. Oz the Great and Powerful. Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah, he was the uh, the chauffeur, uh, the limo driver in uh, Me, Myself, and Irene as well. But you said you'd eat whale blubber. Well, she'll be eating blubber all right, just as soon as I free will it. And Bad Santa. <laughs> and Bad Santa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's cool, and yeah, a couple of faces from Time Bandits. Yeah, but yeah, like you said, like you touched on there as well, the set design. You know, there's some really good set pieces. The Nelwyn Village looks really, you know, really good, really um, lived in, really realistic. Tira's Lean, this sort of this this grand castle where everyone's been turned to stone, uh, again looks really good as well as um, uh, Nokmar, which is uh, Bath Morda's sort of home base. Yeah. Formidable and draped in the bodies of um, God, yeah, yeah. Foes, it's yeah. Very bleak, very bleak film in yeah. a lot of places. Probably a good time to mention James Horner as well. You know, he's he, James Horner is always a good safe pair of hands. I think really when it comes to score, especially something sort of epic and uh, fantasy based. You know, we've talked, I've talked about him before on the podcast with uh, Titanic, Braveheart. He's done loads of things. I think he pictures it right. It's got those sort of themes for different characters, different paces in the film. All right, here I must politely demur because um, the soundtrack it didn't really work for me. It's um, it's like bombastic themes kind of shoved together awkwardly. You know. Sorry, but no, it didn't really work for me. The soundtrack. No? Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, the you know to talk about some of the key scenes. I think some of the, the big set pieces. You know, we've mentioned the sort of cart chase. I think you know, again uh, just touch on that sort of briefly I think that re- works really well aside from yeah I mean the stuff with the brownies in that is, is top notch you know yeah where they're hanging onto the cartwheel yeah also really like the um, toboggan race that's probably mm-hmm. my favourite moment going down the icy snowy slopes well that's it I think it has that that sort of light heartedness to this film as well which works really well it doesn't go too far when you look at something like the series which I was going to mention towards the end the recent Disney Plus series which is okay but it's not Willow it's Mm. something completely different it's trying to be a Marvel series or a Marvel film I lasted an episode and a half Um, nice production values good scary moment with the the attack in the first episode Mm mm-hmm but and everyone looks very beautiful. But Jesus Christ, the dialogue! You know, I just can't stand that sarcastic, yeah. type dialogue of teenagers just mouthing yeah. off at each other all the time. Yeah, they got it mean. so wrong. And Warwick Davis seems to have lost the ability to act the whole series as well, which is massively distracting. Um, proximity to Ricky Gervais. I think. <laughs> and then you know, as you you sort of touched on the the, the this fight at Tira's Lean. Uh, you know, this is the place they're meant to go to to save the baby this is their last hope and it's just desolate to everybody turn to stone listen to you peck everything will be all right once we get to tira's lean the only army around here is the one that's about to ride across this valley and wipe us out but cheryl indria said we'd be safe here safe look at these people this place is cursed peck 
It's falling apart. Open your eyes. And it... Trolls. Uh, but, you know, Mad Martigan kicks into AT mode and sets mm. up various different traps for, for the oncoming soldiers. Um, you know, dresses for the occasion, finds some, you know, A-grade uh, slacks to wear. You've got the, the introduction of Beautiful the troll. Samurai costume yes. highlighted inside the armory. Yeah. Uh, you've got, uh, it's like, yeah, it's like a, when you find a new costume in a computer game and it, it's all sort of highlighted. Yes. Yeah. It's new armour. Um, you've got the trolls that are introduced here as well, which is sort ah, of... Love the trolls, love the trolls. Yeah, they're when they're all crawling up um, underneath yeah. the staircase to find gravity in, on the bridge. That's wicked, and um, I just like how they, you know, they're built up early in the film of, of you know, troll. You know, Willow's afraid of trolls; they'll rip your face off and all that sort of thing. And I think they mentioned a, another point before then, but then it's like, you know, stepping in troll shit. Shit, there's trolls <laughs> here, um, and they're not. You know, they're obviously not introduced immediately. Not until you know, the shit starts to to hit the fan. But yeah. Yeah, don't don't mess with trolls. I mean, well, you just get them wet, and then they turn into like this sixty-foot chicken, double-headed chicken creature. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the Ebersisk, which I think is superbly realised creature. Superb. Really, that was the word I was going to yeah. use. Yeah. You know, it's just it's not classic to anything. It is just you know it makes sense to Willow's done this spell that's just turned this troll into something fucking grim. <laughs> And looks like yeah, a nice, brain. Nice gory sequence where it like, turns inside out. Yeah. It's like a, a stomach haggis type thing, and then these polyps yeah. burst out. And like, yeah, it's, cool. You know, it's almost like a. You know, it, you could imagine it being a variation of the thing in the thing kind of mm. kind of thing. Like, that's too many things in one sentence. <laughs> but, you know, it just looks. It just Angry looks, DNA. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you get this, um, this, this brilliant bit where. Uh, Mad Martigan's, you know, twizzling his sword round, showing off his prowess with the sword, and everybody's backing away, and he thinks it's him, and then spots, you know, this this yeah. fucking <laughs> epic creature behind him, runs out with the people he's meant to be fighting before running back again. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I think there's, you know, there's some really good special effects in that. In okay, that I've part. got one one note. So, what kills that creature? Because as far as I can tell, they're fighting it, and then its head blows up. But I didn't see what blew its head up. Uh, Mad Martigan jumps on its head, shoves the sword through the top of its head that comes out through its mouth. I think the the way I see it is that the sword going through the top of its head through its bottom of its mouth keeps its mouth closed, so that the build up of this gas in its mouth that causes the flame just explodes basically. Thank God you were here. All right, I would have gone to my grave. Not that's always made my sort of reading of that scene. Some somebody explained what happened to the Queen as well, which was which was useful because I didn't get that either. All right, so right at the end, what kills the Queen? So again, my interpretation is that she's performing the ritual Spoilers. to send the baby to um, the ninth dimension, I think it is, or something like that. Not the ninth dimension. Well, yeah, it's, well, it's it's the gotta, it's the worst. It's a lot better than a lot worse right. than the eighth, um, and not as bad as the tenth, I don't think. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, so she's so far through through the ritual, and my interpretation is that that's what then takes her because she's under the altar with the lightning coming down, 
and that's what takes her away to the ninth dimension, nth dimension, or whatever it is. Okay, I thought she just slipped on something and fell in the cauldron and then got zapped by lightning, but that makes more sense what you just said. <laughs> this, you know, Elora Dan and the baby is then, you know, whisked away by Kale. It's genuine sort of concern here, and everybody's, you know, suitably um, distraught. Uh, and uh, Sorcerer is now fully good guy after team good, yeah. After getting a kiss from Mad Mardigan, uh, and then you get this standoff at, at Nokmar and some really, really nice. I don't love her. She kicked me in the face. <laughs> yeah. We have to mention that Alora Dannon is the best actor in the film. That little baby. Yeah, she's pretty damn good. Those expressions she pulls are just amazing. Like she's all yeah. on point. It must have taken them ages to get the right ones, really. But yeah, she's. I think she was doing lots of smoking, like between scenes, getting in the mood, <laughs> bang, drinking lots there. of whiskey. Yeah, uh, and you get these these really gnarly effects at at Nokmal when Bad Mordek turns the entire army. You dare to challenge me? You're not warriors. Yeah, that's good. That would have fucked me up when I was a kid, you know, just that whole nightmarish sequence. Yeah, well, this, you know, this film was and is a a PG, you know, it's typical 80s, you know, it's like Jaws. So what does that mean? Nobody under 12 or 12 only with a parent? Parental guidance. Yeah. Anybody can see it with a parent, basically. (laughs) Okay. A few nightmares there, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some of the notes from on set was... Uh, that these uh, these pigs running around just constantly try to have sex with each other, so they have to throw loads and loads of water uh, at various points during filming of this, uh, just to stop them from doing so. But you know, this leads into you know a first for for cinema really as well. It's another reason. It's, it's, well, it's a reason that this is quite an important film. Uh, it was the first time um, CGI morphing effect was used on on film. I mean, yeah, you know, in 2023, it does look a bit clunky in places, but it's, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, Dennis Moran, who was a famous um, special effects guy uh, on on Star Wars, along with Douglas Smythe, David Allen, with six months to create the Morthin program, uh, and it would be a breakthrough in CGI. You know, we see at this point Rizal transform from a, a goat into an ostrich to a peacock to a tortoise to a tiger. Uh, to a body double, and then finally Patricia Hayes. So they do a kind of animation keyframe thing where um, they build models of mm. like the in-between stages and yeah. then morph in between those. So something halfway between an eagle and a, a possum. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, so they use that for the morphing thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't blown away, but obviously we're we're at a very sophisticated age. Yeah, yeah, I think you know. I do remember a fuss being made of the morphing process back in the day tomorrow's world or something yes yeah well i think there's this and i think probably a year earlier i think was the was it the young sherlock holmes with the first ever fully cgi character with the stained glass knight which is a film i would definitely love to talk about at some point on the podcast because another one of those films that just blew me away when i was a kid but then this this leads into into the end battle. So you know it's a well edited well edited piece. I think this you know it's you're moving between two to three sort of different um, strands of the story. You know the overall battle Willow, Bavmorder, and Finn Rizal, um, and then sort of Mad Mardigan 
and, and Kale, which is a pretty brutal fight. You know, again, for a PG, um, there's a lot of sort of throat slitting and a, a lot of sort of barbarity, really. And then you get Rizal and Barb Mordo, which is, you know... Not, not the human beatbox from the roots, I should say, no, Rizal. No. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, they're, and they're sort of battle, oh, yeah, fucking... Yeah, there's, there's one point where Rizal's spinning Barb Mordo around the room and uh, Barb Mordo's throwing rocks at, at Rizal. It's... Yeah, you know, that's, cool. that's cool. It's pretty boring, pretty gnarly fight scene. But, you know, Bad Mod is just simply too powerful for everyone. Nobody can match her um, in terms of magic. And it comes down to Willow, or, you know, our hero of the piece. He's got to use his wits and, uh, you know, it circles back to the start of the film. He, he uses what's inside him. You know, the, the high old one tells him, you know, it's, it's not any particular finger that's going to, uh, you know, bring out your your ability with magic and becoming a sorcerer it's what's inside you and uh you know uses uh his disappearing pig trick which i just you know i just look i just think it, it's so simple it's 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 willow you know it's his it's his character he uses he uses what he knows mm-hmm. not the stain stone acorn acorn no no that does him no good in this film whatsoever <laughs> But leads you to sort of think, well, the High Aldwin's just shit, really. He's, he knows very little, um, and he's not very powerful at all. It's a dwarf village. You can get away with murder in most places. Yeah, well, that's true, that's true. But, yeah, nice, neat little conclusion to the film. The baby's saved. He's got new parents in, uh, you know, uh, Mad Mardigan and Saoirse. Tira's lean. Everybody's unstoned. Unstoned? Uniced? Stoned? Whatever. Um, and the village bully gets shit on the head by birds. What more can you want? A script, you know. I mean, I think that's the big problem all the way through it. Um, you can't argue with Ron Howard's capable direction. You know, he does all the action sequences great. Everything looks wonderful. The actors are doing their jobs. But I do feel the script is, is somewhat poor. Like, um, what's, what's the Queen's line? Bad Mordor's line? Um traitor child i must despise you now you know it's very hammy very manga yeah yeah i can see your point i think there's i mean you've you've got this wonderful rose-tinted memory of the film but for me coming at it as an elder i wasn't blown away i've got to say okay okay um i mean i would say i would say in later years yes i can see that i can see that i can see where you're coming from but i just think as it, it it's just a very neat film, I think. I think yes, you, there's there's certain lines you can point at that are probably very clunky and very wooden in some respects as well. And I think you could probably. I think there's a problem with George Lucas as a whole. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think you know he is. Yeah, he, and George Lucas had a lot of involvement in this film. I think he was very much on the shoulder of Ron Howard. Yeah, and the passion project that he'd fostered since the 1970s that he'd had in his back pocket re- ready to go. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it goes to show in his later film, you know, there's a, there's a reason George Lucas didn't make anything past the Star Wars prequels. You know, and that's probably it, you know. I think you can probably eye the same problems with the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, the, the script. wooden dialogue. You know? It's the script and it's the dialogue, yeah. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't totally agree that I don't think there are bits, definitely that that are a bit wooden, but I wouldn't say it's it was terrible. Fun. But it I can see fun. where you're coming you know, from. 
I was going to take like the the dual premise very seriously and, and just totally slate the film, but you know, I had a, I had a laugh with it. It was okay. I won. I mean, I, I, I obviously won. I came to the duel <laughs> with, a, with a fine rifle, and you came with a wet fish. But you know, but then I think it's all you right. know, it's all right. I think the thing is as well, if we if we are being completely honest with each other, neither of these films are probably Ron Howard's quote unquote best film. Mm. Well, that's only if you take other people's opinions. When, when you think about maybe sort of direction and editing and script and everything else. What would he say is thing. his best film? I mean, probably Apollo 13, Backdraft, I think one of those. Maybe A Beautiful Mind because he won the Oscars. Yeah, I would say, you know, something like that. Maybe a Frost Nixon or, yeah. you know, which was a film I really enjoyed. I didn't expect to enjoy Frost Nixon, but I really enjoyed it. Um but then I think that's not necessarily down to direction. I think that's down to uh, Frank Langella and Michael Sheen. I think you know their performances are really good in that. That's uh, one of those worthy films that I always you know tell myself I have to watch, but have not watched. <laughs> You'd recommend it? I, I would. I mean, it's not a film I would go back to per se. Um, it's not one I've watched more than once. But then I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that for a lot of Ron Howard's uh, Angels and Demons. I really enjoyed. I thought the Da Vinci Code was. Uh, nah, nah, it was. I just watched it this week. You know, it's it's a good kind of espionage thriller. Uh, yeah. I like the um, the kind of omen feel to the the Catholic intrigue and um, the historical reenactments were great, like the Times mm. of Christ, the Council of Nicaea. You know, that was all very. It was almost good eye candy. It was almost a bit too much. Angels and Demons, I thought, was worked better as a thriller, and it was more interesting and more sort of fast-paced. I think where the Da Vinci Code fails a bit is it tries to be too actiony, and that's where it sort of fails a little bit when it tries to be a bit more fast-paced and a bit more epic. And I think the, the story that story would have worked a little bit better if it was kept a bit more cerebral. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's a very silly sequence where um, they escape via um, Ian McKellen's uh, limousine. Mm-hmm. He's like, idiot policemen just um, ignore the fact that he's he's walking off with a limo and don't check it. And you know, I quite want to watch Inferno. Inferno. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I've not seen that yet. Um, I, I like the idea of um, you know what was Dante's uh, motivations and what was what was he getting to? Apparently, all his enemies in life were um, depicted as various demons in the in the film. In the yeah. Book. Yeah. Yeah, but I've you know what put me off watching the Da Vinci Code all these years was um, a Stuart Lee's uh, comedy routine about him, and um, all right. I also read um, like a pretty thorough takedown of um, all the various theories in the in the book, and um, you know none of them really stand up. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. It was very much like sort of Fifty Shades of Grey, wasn't it? The, the Da Vinci Code, and there was this big hype about it, and it never sort of lived up to that hype. The films, you know, based on the book. Uh, not that Fifty Shades of Grey would particularly have been my kind of film, but, you know, it was terrible. There's something, there's something about it that just called the popular imagination, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you sort of. It was cool when Fifty Shades of Grey came out when women everywhere were just reading that book. You know, everywhere you looked, um, people were talking about it and reading it. And, you know, yeah, I'm and you sort of you sort of see that you know you you have that sort of curiosity to things. Um, 
same with twilight you know it's not the kind of mm. thing that i would gravitate towards at all and it wasn't aimed at me anyway but i watched the first twilight and thought it was shite but you know i always sort of you want to sort of have a look at these things these things that are popular and these things that are, are capturing the sort of imagination of the general public or yeah keep pace know. with the zeitgeist you know yeah exactly you know you want to give things a go but yeah i found that with the da vinci code it wasn't quite it was fine it was you know it wasn't but i thought angels and demons was was a much better film did um, you ever watch um solo i've tried three times to watch solo and got not got not got past the the first half of it i don't know why um i've had that problem with a couple of films um all right did you see where they they do the the great heist with this kind of like ski run toboggan type thing no, I don't think I've got that far. <laughs> That's the best bit. That's the best. Right. Okay. I keep I keep meaning to to, to get back into it because I, I did the similar thing with the Winter Soldier, the Captain America sequel. I just couldn't get into the first sort of half hour, um, and it's you know, once I'd watched the whole thing, it's you know one of the best MCU films in my opinion. And I've, I've had the same struggle with uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I've got thirty minutes into that about four times so far, and I just can't get into it. Whether that's because I'm a big fan of, you know, the the first two films, I don't know. And I just can't get round that it's not... Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson. But then I'm also not a massive fan of Mel Gibson either. So it's very strange. It's, it's very strange. Sometimes I'll do that with films. I'll just not be able to get through it. But then okay, I'll... Okay, well, I'll, I'll just got to add my notes, which I, I love uh, Fury Road. I thought it was a visionary masterpiece. Um, yeah, everybody keeps saying so. Cause there's Brendan sequ- McCarthy there's a... of um, 2000 AD, like apparently dug up George Miller and said look look at all these drawings I've done and the two of them work together I just I thought it looked amazing and great um, action sequences I mean there's um, Winter Soldier the, um, I hate Marvel films um, there's very um, few of them I like <laughs> fair enough fair enough but yeah I need to I do need to watch Fury Road because I hope everybody tells me it's uh, it's really good and I know there's uh, there's a sequel coming up soon isn't there Furosa apparently yeah yeah, yeah. Charlie's Ferron character Mm. Um, so yeah so that about wraps us up for um, best Ron Howard picture then Tarquin what else you got Uh, well well, there is this one thing it's about a killer robot driving instructor that travels back in time for some reason I'm listening okay okay well you see this robot he's got a heartbreaking decision to make about whether his best friend lives or dies Eh, his best friend's a talking pie. Sold! Howard, you've done it again. These happy days are yours Is there anything... Well, hang on, you... hang on, hang on, hang on. How did... All right, so in the beginning of Willow, <laughs> right, um, Burglecut, Burglecunt, yeah. is, is dead set on getting um, Willow's farm, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's his whole motivation. What yeah. kept him from grabbing the farm while Willow was away for all those years? <sighs> I'll tell you. Willow's wife was <laughs> serving him hot sex on a platter morning, noon, and night. That's that's what happened there. No, we are not getting into that discussion. That's is wrong. This is Willow and his wife. She cut her damn hair. <laughs> <laughs> you disagree. Yeah. All right. Okay. Carry on ripping up. <laughs> I had to add that. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, Tarquin, so is there anything that you'd uh, either like to 
plug or anything that you'd like to uh, let uh, the listeners know how they can maybe get in touch with you or anything that you'd uh, you'd like to pass on to them. Uh, no, stay away, stay away. But um, <laughs> I do have a YouTube page, um, Fastbinder62, one word, um, F-A-S-B-I-N-D-E-R 62. Um, I put up mashup videos there. Check that out. Okay, cool. I'll pop the link for that in the uh, in the episode detail. Um, but yeah, that's about wraps us up. So uh, so that just leaves me to say goodbye and for Tarquin to say. I wash my hands and my feet of you. <laughs>